Almost two weeks ago, we celebrated the All Saints Tridium, beginning with Halloween, All Hallows' Eve. Now, Halloween invites us to play. And it also includes this vulnerable, even scary side. We see this in the varied costumes that our children wear, and sometimes adults. Princesses and superheroes with skeletons and witches. This is a subtle invitation to acknowledge the realities of being human. Life is good and hard, loved and grieved, hopeful and scary. All saints and all souls respond to All Hallows' Eve with assurances in the middle of those realities. God's dominion, these feasts tell us, is greater than human power. The three days together remind us that God is always working to redeem us, even in our darkest hours. Now, these feasts are the reason that we have read today's portion of 1 Thessalonians three times in a row. The Feast of All Souls last Sunday morning, then Evensong in the evening last Sunday, and now this morning. Go ahead, you can open your bulletin. You might think to yourself, I wasn't really paying attention when 1 Thessalonians is read. It's right there for you. Now, perhaps this is just a coincidence that we've read it three times in a row, related to the way our readings are scheduled. Or maybe, as my friend the Reverend Stuart Hoke would say, this is a silver thread, a moment when we might notice that God is up to something in our lives. Hearing the text three times certainly got my attention. And I realized, maybe I'm slightly embarrassed by, this reality that I have never studied the letters to the Thessalonians. There are two of them. They are nestled right there in our scriptures between Colossians and the first letter to Timothy. They are written by Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. In other words, a community writes these letters to another community, the church in Thessalonica. Thessalonica, as I understand it, is an important city in in Rome, the capital city of the Roman province of Macedonia. Unless you fear that this is about to be a history lesson, that's about all I know about the city of Thessalonica. But any history book would tell us what we might want to know about how the city mattered to Rome. But what matters to us? What matters to us is that these letters are written to one of the oldest Christian communities, and they are our oldest scriptures in the New Testament. They appear to be two short letters about eight chapters in total. And this is a fun fact for your next social gathering when you're talking about the Bible. That is that over the three years of our Sunday readings, we read a portion of each chapter of the two letters. Now that seems important. The letter seems to matter to us, to who we are, to the Christian community around the world. 
They give us this glimpse into the lives of the earliest Christian communities, connecting us across time and history. Now, like all of the epistles, we find in them a variety of guidance. Paul and his companions feel bound to, responsible for these communities. Now, their desire is conversion, conversion of the hearts of the communities that they write to, to strengthen them as disciples, to encourage them as followers of Christ, and to make these communities imitators of Christ's ministry. And so they include all kinds of instruction about how to live as sanctified communities, the holy people of God. And in these teachings, we find the very first fruits and roots of our theological traditions right here in these letters. Today's reading is a fine example of this subtle theological teaching. Here, Paul and his companions are writing to the early church about the eschaton. The eschaton, that is, Christ's inevitable and imminent return in the reign of God's kingdom. The early church believed that Christ's return was coming any day, any moment, even maybe right now. And more than that, they wanted Christ to return to them. They yearned for him. Christ's reign would mean an end to all their suffering and persecution. They were ready, so ready to join Christ in his heavenly glory and to put an end to all their human afflictions. Now, there are only a few things that I remember about Greek history. And so here's one. The Greeks believed that the dead lived in the underworld, eternally separated from the living. And the people of Thessalonica were Greek before they were Christians. So I want us for just a moment to imagine, imagine their conversion experience and that realization that might have perhaps happened when they realized that they would be raised to eternal glory. And their wonderings, their wonderings and their grief for those who had already died. On the one hand, you have this faith that you too will be raised with Christ. On the other hand, those you love and see no more are bound to the underworld? Would they be eternally separated from you and your eternal glory? Can we imagine the weight of that grief? And so Paul and his companions write to the community and they assure them. They say, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. What a blessing. What a comfort. The community of believers rejoined with those they love, being raised up into God's kingdom. 
Here is the provision of faith that Christ redeems all of creation, including those we love and see no longer. Christ's return is also the promise of a reunion with those who have died. This is hope for the Thessalonians. Even the dead are alive in Christ. I wonder how this teaching changed the people of Thessalonica. And I wonder what meaning this teaching has for us. I mean, of course, there is this obvious and immediate relief. I feel it even as I'm learning it. That we are assured of our eternal bond with those that we love. But I want to take the next step. I want to wonder how this teaching changes us right here right now in the way that we live. How do we live as those who are assured of our bond to Christ and one another? The letter to the Thessalonians offers us some wisdom about the Christian life. Paul and his companions invite the community to encourage one another Now, we're going to hear some of this text next week, and I would urge you, I do urge you to read these two letters yourself. But for now, listen to these few verses. Therefore, encourage one another and build up each other. Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all of them. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Christian hope compels them to live in a certain way. And this includes enduring hard realities, serving the vulnerable, acts of mercy and grace for all. And the community of Thessalonians are not individuals persisting in faith only for themselves until they themselves are united with Christ. They, the whole of them, are Christ's body, the church, bound to one another by faith in Christ's glory. And we are bound to them, heirs of their faith and hope. Christ's glory binding us across history and time, binding us to them and all of us to one another. This is our assurance that even as we continue to wait for Christ's return, God's kingdom is close to us. Now here's the truth. Being human is hard. We are vulnerable and fragile. We are strong and courageous. We are lonely and afraid. We are beloved and chosen. And on any given day, 
We can feel and experience all of these and so much more. It takes a lot of practice, a lot of practice, to face hardship with confidence, to ask for help, to not judge ourselves, let alone one another, to serve with compassion and gratitude, to meet someone in their greatest hour of need, to invite someone into our darkest hour. It takes a lot of practice to live in community, to encourage one another, to build each other up. And this is our inheritance, the ministry of all the saints bound together, Christ's body, the church. And so you see, now, now is our time. Now is our time by prayer and gratitude to endure and to serve, to embody Christ's way of healing grace and mercy. Now, right now, is our time to strive for God's kingdom, to live with hope and fear. Now, now is our time to bear witness to God's redemptive activity happening all around us, in our lives, even in our darkest hours. Now is our time to entrust our whole lives to God and to love our neighbors as ourselves.